What's going on? Great to be with you. Welcome into the show, Paul George, Deacon Adam Conk in studio. Dude, that music, it kind of sounds like weird Catholic stuff music. It is. <laughs> you do, you're double dipping today. I am double dipping. Well, every every episode right before I listen through this little library of music, I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. And it's like, oh, I like that song. And I'm just realizing as you said it. <laughs> oh, wait, that's all, uh, something else. Yeah, all of a sudden I just thought you were going to start yelling out weird, <laughs> weird Catholic stuff as we began the show. So anyway, thanks everyone for listening in to the show, whether you're on the podcast, Google Play, iTunes, um, Spotify, or wherever, or on the radio here in Acadiana. Thanks for listening in, being a part of the show. We're over show 200. We're rocking and rolling. We 201. Won't, we won't celebrate again till we're at... 400. 300. 300, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. 250 sounds good, too. 250? Yeah. yeah that's like, I'm celebrating 25 years of marriage right. this month. Congrats. Yeah. You know, so do you do 20, 30? Well, people are like, no, you do 25. I don't know. When I hit 25 years of marriage, I think every five years, it's going to be like, wow, we, we made another five years. We made another five. I don't know. Any excuse at that point for me to get away with my wife for... A day or a weekend or something, I'm taking it. Correct. Yeah, I'll take that anytime. Mm-hmm. Particularly in the busyness and craziness of life. You know, it's the hamster wheel, man. It's the treadmill. You feel like you can't get off. I know a lot of people feel that way. Mm-hmm. You know, particularly this time of year, you know, you, you got first communions and weddings and graduations and confirmations and Mother's Day and anniversaries. And, you know, it's like... May is crazy. Know, May is crazy. And... Yeah, it's kind of like you feel like you're on the treadmill. So anyway, thanks everyone for being a part of the show. How you been, man? I've been good. It's a busy time at John Paul the Great Academy, winding down the year, and it's been a great year. So a lot of fun, you know, um, buttoning it up. You made it a year. See, I don't think every five years for like someone in in like education, teaching, administration, I think you celebrate every year. You're like, I made it a year. (laughs) That's why they do year contracts. Yeah. It's like... I made it another year. Are you going to make it another year? year? It's a pretty intense uh, schedule. It is. Way way to live, you know, in the teaching community. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, look, hats off. And, like, I have a ton of, you know, my wife was a teacher for many years. But just a ton of, like, respect and uh, empathy for those who do the grind. uh, And, you know, I had a graduation. My third child, Sarah, graduated high school last night. And sitting in the the graduation and just seeing like all the teachers there present, you know, dressed in their gowns and, and, uh, the time and dedication that they have to see your kid go all the way right through, Mm -hmm. you know, and the commitment to like show up every day and teach, you know, like it's, it's huge. And what would we do without people who taught us, who formed us? And then you think particularly like in Catholic education or in a Catholic parish in a, in a place where like there, there's a mission to form and educate, not just like, hey, I want to teach you algebra and English, which obviously is super important for you to, you know, get educated and get a job and learn to read, write, arithmetic, the whole deal. But to form the mind and the heart, like and the soul, and you think about teachers who just just dedicate their life to that it's huge huge yeah and it is a vocation and even a charism of the spirit you know i mean paul lists that in uh first corinthians when it goes through this list of charisms of the spirit but teaching yeah 
is definitely one of them. And obviously, we read that and we think, oh, people that teach the faith, catechists, like for sure. But as we know, our faith has to do with every aspect of our life, right? And so the whole premise of this show and of your apostolate is the art of living, that we need to teach people the art of living. And so the Catholic school in particular, but all schools, all teachers, have this calling from God to teach people how to live. Yeah, and families are a school of life. Mm-hmm. Like every every aspect of our life and community should be a school, is a school of learning. And that could be good or bad wherever we're placed. You know, we could be in a, a family that doesn't do that and a school that doesn't do that. But to be intentional in those schools of love, schools of teaching, it's phenomenal because that's where that's where we get formed, right? And yeah. uh, you know, so hats off to all the families and all the teachers and all the people who are you know trying to be intentional about that. And I would say it's our apostolate, not mine. Mm. 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 This is our show, Adam. Mm. Mm. Don't try to skirt out of here. <laughs> Don't try to be like, you know what? I was thinking this is my last show. I'm on to you. We did hit 200. Yeah. So. I'm on to you. I, I can sense that you're trying to back out. All right. Our Very. apostolate. But, I mean, really, that that is the whole point of the project of why the church educates is to create disciples exactly by teaching them how to live everyday life. That's why we have school every day. I mean, we could have school once a month or once a week, but we do it every day because it's more than just ideas that we're sharing. We're sharing our lives together, mm-hmm. and it should be sharing our lives as disciples together. Right. And that can be extremely formative um, for people that, when it's intentional, and you're right, it has to be intentional because that doesn't happen by accident, and it's so easy to just get into the the rhythm of everyday grind, especially with seven, eight subjects a day and all that entails. Um, that's why every teacher you know, has, has this high vocation, but also needs to re-examine that vocation regularly. You know, why did God call me to do this? Um, and then recommit. And every good teacher does. That's what's amazing about teachers is they, if they're still teaching after two or three years, they know how to do that. They know how to recommit themselves constantly because you have to. Yeah. I think we can overcomplicate it too in life. You know, for those who are married, you have a family, maybe you have small kids, old kids, it doesn't really matter. It's to begin to think out your vocation, your family. It's, it's a small school. You know, mm-hmm. and some people homeschool. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking in a, in a lot of ways um, about just living life together, and that becomes a school of life and of of virtue and of faith. It it happens around the dinner table. It happens wherever you are as a family. So anyway, whatever. Welcome to show 201. <laughs> you know? It only gets better after this. It only gets better. So, do you have a have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real, though? This is a wild one. Okay. It's wild. It's so wild that it is a have That's a, how I have to introduce it. That I haven't seen it. I'm pretty sure you haven't. Okay. But it comes out of the UK, and uh, it happened a few days ago. So many things come out of the UK that you I find. I know, some weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> some weird stuff. Yeah. Well, okay. So here's what happened. Um, the rock band Metallica. Mm-hmm. I remember them. Uh, was touring. Okay. Okay. And, the, well, the, the article is written in the UK, but this happened in Brazil. Apparently. Okay. So they were in South America touring. Okay. And a woman who was 39 weeks pregnant was at the concert. At 39 weeks. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're ready to go at 36, at least I remember. 
you know, so anywhere between 36 and 40. Yeah, I mean, it's like danger zone. Yeah, attending a uh, rock concert basically full term is heroic. Yeah, okay. Well, she went into labor. Shocker. And apparently the circumstances were just right to where she just couldn't leave. Maybe her water broke. Things went really quickly. She ended up having the baby in the concert. At the Metallica concert. At the Metallica concert. And this is amazing. It is amazing. And so um, it was at the Coto Puera Stadium in Brazil that this child, whose name is Luan, Luan was born. And um, it was to the song of Enter Sandman, which is their, <laughs> their big hit. It was actually to that song. Yeah, like the baby came out. How's that song go? So they, they kept playing. Remember? I mean, she goes, you need to be in labor for a little while, right? Right. So they just kept playing, doing their concert. and. Uh, well, I, I can't imagine like the, uh, like you have like rock music and bass and people cheering. I, maybe it pushed her into labor really quick. I think so. And then people maybe didn't notice. I don't know. But they kept playing. And yeah, so it's exit light and the baby comes out. And um, Metallica was really excited about this. So they actually shared the... They went and meet the baby, you know, after. Wait, and, the group went and meet her? Yeah, and shared on, you know, their social medias that, hey, we have a fan that had a baby at our concert. It sounds like they're pro-life. Well, I mean, at that least night they are. Pro-baby. I don't know what their what their view is, but I mean, at yeah. least this woman's pro-life. She's having a baby, and she's at a concert celebrating. Now, look, I don't – listen, if there's anyone on the planet who does not follow – music real well <laughs> it's me i know metallica you could probably hum one of their songs and be like oh i, I recognize that song i wouldn't even really tell you what it is mm-hmm. right do you remember the song that she gave oh yeah to? well that's their most famous one how's yeah. it go um dun, 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 dun. do you <laughs> yeah. remember the words yeah uh well the the chorus is like Light. Okay. Okay. Internet. Now Adam's Everybody's a musician. Like us. he plays guitar, piano, the whole thing. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, that was the song, born right there. So apparently they were trying to get her to a hospital by um, by uh, ambulance or by helicopter. But then when they got there, the ambulance got there. It was just time. Okay. So th- does this stop here or does it go on? Because like, does she name the baby after one of the Metallica guys? Or That's a good question. Like I don't know them enough to know. Okay, Luan Fugiero. So I don't. I don't know if any of them are Luan, but um, that is certainly a memory that for for all of them involved. Yeah. Now this lady's a super trooper. I mean, she's a rock star in the making because, you know, we've we've been through labor five times. Mm-hmm. Mm, I'd say five <laughs> out of five. My wife's like shh. You know, like noise. (laughs) You're right. You know, like they hate noise. Leave me alone. Right. Which I would be too. Uh, So this woman's like at a rock concert. Like the rock concert. The rock. This isn't (laughs) like (laughs) Phil Collins, you know, like soft 80s tunes. No. This is probably, you know, 100,000 Brazilians singing at the top of their lungs. Yeah. Rocking it out. Yeah. Well, apparently this happens regularly. I didn't know this, but um, in 2019, Another woman gave birth at a pink concert in okay. Liverpool. Hmm. So having babies at concerts, I don't know if it's on purpose. But well, here's what I don't feel sorry for. If you are in between 36 weeks and 40 <laughs> weeks pregnant and you go to a rock concert, do not complain that you went into labor. Like, because 
I mean, you can't even fly on a plane after seven months. None of you know that. Like, really? So yeah, like after seven months, like you cannot fly on a commercial flight. Like if you have a personal plane, hats off. You can make any decision you want. But yeah, like it's not because you, you know, the altitude, all those things could move you into labor. And if something happens, like of course you're in the midair. There's nothing you can do. So, there's nothing you can do. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, I guess the, the loud pounding music could induce labor. Apparently it does. Yeah. So, you know, watch out. You bring up the pro-life question. I think that's interesting because it is funny to me to see an article like this where we're celebrating the birth of a baby uh, at a time when the nation is, I don't know, it's just the, the conversations right now around Roe v. Wade and it possibly overturned. It's almost like a whole lot of people are forgetting that babies are good. Yeah. Um, it seems like even no matter what, the majority of people are pro-baby, right? right? Like, like the baby comes into the world and they're like, oh, how cute. I would never kill it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're pro-baby, but like if it's in the womb, it's like, oh, it's a nobody, so we can kill it. It's like, no, that's so silly. And I think the more and more like science comes out, that has come out as proven like, you know, at conception, like it's actual life. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people are like having these moral dilemmas. And I say people who have been historically pro-choice or having these moral dilemmas because it's no longer sort of this faith, you know, conversation. It's more of a mm-hmm. science conversation mm-hmm. in a sense of, oh, the science is saying that this is a life. I'm having this moral dilemma. Yeah, I don't think you should kill it, but I also don't think I have the right to tell someone what they should do, mm-hmm. you know, but they better wear a seatbelt. What you mean? Because oh, that, right. You know, like, yeah, you better wear your seatbelt. Yeah. Right. But I'm not going to tell you not to kill your baby. Right. It's like, oh, that's interesting. It is interesting. I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense when you think about it. Like in this case, when Inner Sandman started, it would be legal to kill the child. But by the time it finished, that song finished, it would not be legal to kill the child. Like, how does that make sense? Yeah. 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 In the womb, okay. Out the womb, not. And, you know, I think a lot, like you said, a lot of people are coming around because the science is very clear on this to the to that reality that's alive. I think to me, one of the most troubling things is even Catholic politicians and, and Catholic voters um, saying, well, just because it's alive doesn't mean it has a right to a woman's body for nine months. You know, even though it's a baby, so they acknowledge it, but that doesn't mean that that baby has a right to exist in the womb of its mother for nine months. Hmm. And, um, but good news is huge year. I mean, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, and in fact, just a few weeks, it probably will be. I mean, did you think this would actually happen in your lifetime? Yeah, I did. It's think amazing. It, I did actually think it would happen um, because of the science would catch up. And when Roe v. Wade, you know, kind of came into play, like we we weren't as familiar with the science, right? Uh, and when I say we, like it, it's just come further along. And the great thing about being Catholic, which is so beautiful, is that we we 100%, not 99%, we 100% believe that faith and reason work together. Mm-hmm. That the idea of science uh, and study only proves more the revelation of God. So, so like, it's not something that, as Catholics, we're afraid of. Other faiths a little bit more because they're like, well, if, if we dig too deep into science, it might disprove God or something like that. And Catholics, like Catholic theology and teaching, the beauty of it is like, go for it. Mm-hmm. We're not afraid of science. We're not afraid to uncover anything. What? Well, we just uncovered aliens. Okay, great. <laughs> what does that prove? God's bigger than what we thought. Mm. You know, like, like 
that that's the beauty of like going to bed at night as a Catholic. It's like nothing scares me about research in a sense of it, it can only reveal more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that part doesn't surprise me. I think what's going to surprise us is a lot of the fallback. It's going to reveal a lot about our culture. Yeah. Uh, here's what I would have to say. Roe v. v. Wade gets overturned. For us Catholics, for those people who are really pro-life, buckle up, you know, because we're going to have to maybe adopt more babies mm-hmm. and figure out what to do with, with life um, <clears throat> that people can't handle, you know. And that's the beauty of it, because I think it's going to call us to be even more pro-life than ever and believe that life is really important. Let's do it. You know, not just like, hey, you should have that baby. It's like, oh, well, okay, I'm going to have that baby. You have someone who can take it. Because there are going to be people who aren't going to want to keep their baby. That's right. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And I think in an effort to try to support women out of abortion, the church has help support different initiatives like uh, crisis pregnancy centers and adoption centers. And we've gotten pretty good at it, but it's all remained kind of not small scale, but um, it's going to need to be scaled out in this kind of scenario because many, many States are going to outlaw abortions. And in May, praise God, take that option off the table for some women who can't travel long distances to other States that have them or aren't willing to take the, their life into their own hands and try to abort their baby themselves. So praise God, we're going to save some lives. But you're right, we need to kind of scale up the efforts. But we, the good news is we've learned how to do it. I mean, there's so many great pro-lifers, people doing great work every day to support mom and baby. Um, uh, so I think we're ready. You know, I think we've learned how to do it, but we need more volunteers. We need more people in the fight to, to follow this playbook that we figured out for the past 50 years of Roe. Well, not only that, they can stop charging $40,000 to adopt a baby. Yeah. You know, like there, there's so many people is with, that the cost? with hands in it for money, which is horrible Yeah, in a sense of like what it would cost to like bring a life into your family, you know, an unwanted life. Yeah. Like let, let's talk about that. And, and so there's a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of things that need to be figured out. And, you know, there's so many services that the church offers that people don't know about Mm -hmm. adoption services, foster care services, educational services that support all this, which is beautiful and hats off to those folks who are in the trenches of just loving people. Mm -hmm. You know, these aren't people like picketing. These are people who are loving people, you know, and kids who were in foster care or, you know, adoption services they're taking care of women who, you know, got pregnant and didn't want to and helping them through the process and counseling. There, there's so many good things like that happening that mm-hmm. you don't see about that, that people are doing every day that are heroic. They're heroic things that are um, loving people, you know. Yeah. People of all races and colors and backgrounds, like, like it, it's, it's beautiful to see. And what you see out in the media is such division and hate. And that's not really what's happening on the ground for the most part. That's right. Yeah, I mean, like everything, the media can exaggerate for its own purposes what's actually happening and then, you know, de-emphasize what's not of interest. And I guess it's not as interesting when the story works out really well, you know, that mom finds the support she needs and has baby and either Mm -hmm. gives baby up for adoption to a loving family or has the support she needs to care for the baby and loves her life. You know, that's not, that's not going to be made into a movie usually. I mean, sometimes it is. Right. But um, the, 
real life, the joy of living is often not of interest to a world that just wants chaos and, and drama. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know? true. Absolutely. Okay. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Healthcare that works better and costs less seems like an oxymoron, right? Take a minute and check out our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare. Members say that faith-based health sharing is a much better fit than insurance, all while costing less. Prices start at $384 a month for families. Call now to see how much you can save. 844-387-8533. That's 844-387-8533. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for being a part of the show today on the podcast or on the radio. Super glad you're a part of it. We actually didn't record last week. I was out of town. May's been crazy. It still is a kind of a crazy month. I'm in between yeah. graduations. Got a college graduation this week, a high school one. Family's nuts. We're on the hamster wheel. And you're building the kingdom, right? Doing those retreats. I'm trying. Yeah. I took a couple of priests fishing last week too that's awesome we caught a bunch of fish and yeah it was cool that is great yeah you know what's great about you know being a guy not to any any offense about you know the girls out there look i got four daughters and i love them to death the uh but uh and yeah and you have a wife you know for the most part uh like our priests like are just really good men like just mm-hmm. dudes, you know, and they just, you know, want to be treated normal, you know, and, you know, we hear a lot about like the church and the dysfunction or clericalism. And the reality is, you know, the majority of the, at least the priests that I know are just really good men and just are doing, trying to do the best they can. Right. And, and they're normal humans. Like there's, there's nothing like they don't come out of the womb, like, you know, without, original sin they don't come out of the womb you know perfect and when they get ordained they're not perfect they're still just Mm -hmm. normal people who are trying to live as a disciple and live for jesus and lead people that's the majority right i just took a couple priest friends fishing and just had a blast and had fun and you know it's like these guys are just real dudes you know and Mm -hmm. and it's awesome to see um that they they too just want to be treated that way at the same time, you know. Yeah, there's something healing for all of us when we see priests in that way. It's kind of, I guess it's kind of like the incarnation itself. You know, Christ saves us. He's totally different from us as God, but he saves us by becoming one of us like man. And there's something that happens when we see priests act like us that's healing. I don't know why, but it's almost like God, it's like they're, they're sacramentally making present that incarnation reality. It's like Jesus is being like us. It's yeah. not about the priest that's like us. It's about Christ who's like us in the priest, right? Yeah. So that that priest likes to fish and, you know, talk around a fire or um, talk about their struggles and what's going on, all things that we do. And for some reason, when we as lay people get to witness something like that, um, it's healing. Yeah. No, it's so, so interesting you mentioned that because, it, you know, we overcomplicate it, I think, for us Christians is like, just live life, act normal, live for Jesus and like, let God do the work. Right. Like Mm. you just unite to Jesus and like, look, don't overcomplicate like preaching or evangelizing or, 
discipling, you know, so we go fishing, it's the three of us, and I got a fishing guy to take us, you know, out, and, you know, so we're, like, fishing, and, you know, it's going to be hot, and we're fishing, so I'm like, yeah, just dress in fishing clothes, like, you don't (laughs) have to wear your black clerics to go fishing, right, so they're Mm. just normal, so that fishing guy doesn't know that they're priest, Mm -hmm. right, but they're not afraid of that, so, like, we start talking, like, you know, an hour in, they're like, hey, what do you do, whatever, and Oh, we're priests. They're like, oh, who's priests? Two of them. Okay, I'm not, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) And then, you know, then the fishing guy's like, yeah, I just got married. I'm going through RCIA because my wife was Catholic. And then then it just became an RCIA conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, just right there on the boat. And, like, we're catching fish, and it's like just life is just being happening right there. And to that fishing guy, that young man, seeing those priests just normal, it made all the difference. Like he was like, yeah, I was kind of like a little wishy washy mm-hmm. about going through it. Now, now he's like, dude, this is awesome. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to rock it. I'm going to finish the classes, you know? And he's just started mm-hmm. like kind of, and I was like, yeah, like why? Cause those guys are just like normal, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's that mystery of the incarnation. You know, we're saved by someone who becomes like us. Now at the same time, we want our, we want priests, we want clergy to be holy we want them to be the real deal right like we don't want um to encounter somebody that's only like us no right but but the, but the fact yeah. that we know that they're connected to god and that they're holy and they're like us is exactly like christ who is we don't want just a nice man and jesus a nice man dying on the cross does nothing for us right it's the fact that he's god that saves us but it's it's he's god made man made like us and so it is with the priesthood you know, we, I'm blessed, you're blessed, Paul, to know so many great priests, especially here in Lafayette and, and around the country, and they all have that quality of a sincere prayer life, you know, uh, they really love the Lord, they're holy, but they're also a man. Right. Every bit of a man. Yeah. No, exactly. And and you could feel that, like, in the boat, it was like, oh, well, these guys didn't wake up and just start kicking back beers and, like, we're drunk halfway through. You know, like, this fishy guy probably just takes people. You, he's just like, you know, no telling who's getting on his boat. You just feel peace and joy mm-hmm. in the boat and fun and, like, life. And, like, it just, yeah, like, it, it was just good, you know. And I think a lot of times, like, we were talking in, in the first segment, is like, we can even overcomplicate it as families. You know, we can, honestly, I, I think. You, we can overdo religion in our family. We can, like, mm-hmm. push too hard. We can make it way too complicated. Instead of just, like, just living it, mm-hmm. being it, and surrounding the joy and the peace in your home, and, like, just and let God do the work. And a lot of times, like, people will ask me, and like, how are your kids? Like, how do you? I was like, I don't know. I think the thing that we just did was, like, we just tried to be normal. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, and then, you know, like we just didn't try to over push it and we just lived it, you know, and it like, that's just what we did. Mm-hmm. And I think like, if you could just not overcome and I see like families, a lot of times like pushing way too hard and overcomplicate. And then what ends up happening is a lot of times their kids will start pushing away and rebelling the opposite direction Yeah. instead of just kind of, kind of going with it, you know, and, and see it all the time well we do the same thing to ourselves we push ourselves too hard mostly getting disappointed over and over because we can't live up to some kind of expectation we've set for ourselves spiritually or or something else but when we meet people who are truly free as christians like they 
They seem to really love the Lord and also enjoy their life. They gave up on that a long time ago, right? Like they just learned to accept who they are and who their family is, who their kids are, and just enjoy life. Right. You know? Yeah. All right. It's interesting that you mention a priest, at least I think, uh, yeah, being separated. I have a weird Catholic stuff. Woo! Tell me about it, Paul. Come on. You Catholics are weird. Yep. Y'all got some weird stuff going on up in there. Yep. Weird Catholic stuff. Dude, different song, different tune. Totally what, different vibe. What got it into just came you? Out, I don't know. Something, something we, in me. We started talking about <laughs> what, like what changed. <laughs> I guess the South came out of me. I don't yeah. know. That song just pulled the South I think out it was me. Metallica. I think it was the fact that you were in a Metallica mood. And, yeah, I and guess you started so. getting into it, and I you started so. thinking about birth and <laughs> new life. Like I have no idea what goes through the mind of Adam Conk. Me neither. Me neither. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to know. Okay, so in the past, <laughs> over two hundred shows, and even more probably back when I was doing a show with Father Bryce Sibley, uh, we've talked about Incorruptibles. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I was reading about an incorruptible, and you might know this, but this is weird. This just gets strange to me because the whole phenomenon with incorruptible saints is really weird. You know, there's around 100 that we know of, incorruptible saints. Yeah. That are like their bodies are still intact. They've been dead. Like So if you and I die, for the most part, like probably statistically speaking. I'm definitely going to decompose. We're going to decompose, turn to ashes. You know, our our bones will lay there for a while, whatever. Mm-hmm. Who knows? You know? Yeah. And then these days, people are like, you know, burning themselves. That's right. When they're dead. They're not burning. People are burning them. Right. Spreading their ashes. They're weird stuff. Yeah. Okay. All that being said. So there's an incorruptible saint. Did you know that St. Vincent de Paul was an incorruptible? Okay. Okay. So... Uh, his his body is still intact. Like you can look at him and see him. But here's the weird thing. Here's the weird Catholic part. Even weirder about this is that. Um, let me see. the The weird part is that his heart is still incorrupt. Like his actual organ, his heart. Hmm. It's just there. Yeah, it's still like intact. Now he so, lived. He lived in eighteen hundreds ish. Um, so Saint Vincent de Paul's heart and bones are completely incorrupt. His bones are underneath a little layer of wax, and it's at the ch- chapel of Saint Vincent de Paul in Paris, France. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so you can go see his body, and it's like, ooh, there he is. His heart, however, is at a chapel of the Daughters of Charity in the shrine of Our Lady of the Mirac- Miraculous Medal also in Paris, but his, his heart is still intact. So he died in 1660. Okay. The 1600s. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, statistically statistically speaking, if you die in the 1600s, your body would probably be, you know, yeah. Decomposed. (laughs) That's true. Especially if you take the heart out of the body, I imagine that kind of speeds it up, but not in his case, apparently. So the heart is out of the body. It's at another place, but it's still intact. Like, you know, like science would say, that that is supposed to just like destroy, turn to ash. Well, earlier you're talking about how 
as Catholics, we're not afraid of science. Right. This is a great example because when we have miracles like this, we let scientists examine them. Yeah. And uh, I don't understand how you could have, I don't know, I understand how you can doubt Catholic saints. Maybe you could doubt the Catholic faith, but to say that something is very strange about Catholic saints because we're the only ones with an un- incorrupt heart in a box, <laughs> yeah. you know, well, here's, a saint. And I guess, I guess, I sort of know that one of the components to explain a miracle is that it transcends science. Mm-hmm. So science can't explain what happened. Right. Right. But you can see with your eyes. So it's not like the heart is hidden. You're like, we think his heart is incorrupt. You know, no, you, like we can actually see the miracle. Right. But science can't explain like it transcends the science to the point where only faith can point to it. Only faith can explain it. Yeah. Only faith can explain the miracle. However, you can see it. But science can research it. And then at the end of the day, say, we have no idea how that happened. Right. Right. Like, so the faith and reason come together to sort of, you know, push this thing that happened to only explain that it is miraculous. It is a miracle. Yeah. I I researched this one time to see if any other faith has incorruptibles. Hmm. And apparently there's only one other that claims it. It's um, Tibetan monks. There's this monk that was on the top of some high mountain that died and his body didn't decompose. Did it it freeze? Well, that's the thing is... Because in Tibet, like the peaks of the mountains are just ice. Well, you could you could maybe say the altitude, you could say the temperature, you could say all these things, some yeah. other things. But as far as I can tell, that's the only other time anyone's ever claimed that they have a body that is not composed of a religious nature, and um, that's pretty unique. I mean, even amongst Christianity, you look around other Christian faiths; they don't make that claim. It's not like this is a common thing. It's definitely a weird thing that happens to only Catholic saints. And to me, it's, you know, like you said, over a hundred. I mean, it's not one thing. It's, this is hundreds. Yeah, right? like if you had like one saint that was incorruptible, you know, it would be weird. But this is like over a over hundred. So then it keeps proving these miraculous things that happen that, you know, yeah, you can't explain. You know, science can't explain it, you know. Which, in part, like like you were saying, and we talked about in the earlier segment, is that the church wouldn't say, hey, scientists, stay away from this so that we can, like, sort of, you know, hold this up as a miracle and not disprove it. Mm-hmm. You know, the church has always said, like, we're inviting science into this to actually prove if it's a miracle or not. So if you read, like, the life of, say, St. Padre Pio, he's more of a contemporary saint, you know, than St. Vincent de Paul. Like, it's more fresh research in our mind, you know. Uh, the the church, the Vatican, would actually send investigators to investigate the miracles that would happen when Padre Pio was alive, to invest investigate the stigmata that was on his hands, all, all the things that, you know, that were causing sort of scandal because they were like, is this real, is it not? Continue to investigate, continue to send science scientists to to you know, yada, yada, only to, at the end of the day, prove that this was way beyond the science. It was only miracles that were happening. Yeah, and yet people still doubt it, you know. that's. But, I mean, th- this is human nature. We need more than miracles. This is why Jesus didn't just perform miracles. You know, he did. 
he did perform miracles. He healed people. He multiplied food. He raised from the dead. He did everything you could want him to do as God, right? Right. To point to that. But that was, you know, if you look at his public ministry as a pie chart, that was a very small piece of the pie. You know, teaching, preaching. He was very pious. Living pious. (laughs) Nice. Mm. Well, the popes are more. They're pious to the 10th. But anyway, um, (laughs) living with his disciples was the main pie. This is what we heard in today's gospel. Remain in me as I remain in you. It's the relationship that Christ wants with believers that is the stuff of faith. It's not looking at miracles and believing because of the miracles, because actually, apparently, that doesn't really happen much. Because if it did, no one would be anything but Catholic right now because of these incorruptible saints and all the Eucharistic miracles that happen. We'd all be Catholic, but we need more than miracles. We need a relationship with a person. Yeah, And that is human and messy you know relationships can be messy but um you know it's interesting you know where you, you a lot of these incorruptibles are in europe right france mm-hmm. you know i'm reading too right now that like saint john vianney mm-hmm. is in france he's incorruptible and you actually look at his body his picture you're like that dude looks real like some of them mm-hmm. look a little bit mummified right and you're like whoo you old <laughs> you, you old you've been dead a long I mean, time you're not dust but yeah yeah but like saint john Vienna, you're just like, man, like, dude, you look like an old man, but you don't look like you're dead. It, it's kind of crazy. You know, France is one of those countries that are struggling in faith. Right. You know, and you think, like, how many people walk by this church? There's an incorruptible saint sitting in there and just have no no faith. Like, no, they've just, like, tunnel vision on, like, life and, like, what's it going to take for, like, God to b- begin to, like, break people's hearts open again. Right. You know? Well, for those with faith, these signs, these miracles strengthen our faith. They confirm our faith, but they can't give us faith because, you know, like when I've asked people point blank who don't, don't believe in God, don't, and I ask them about these kinds of things like incorruptible saints, they're like, well, that is crazy, and I, I can't explain it, but I'm pretty sure there's some kind of explanation. I choose not to believe. Exactly. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, if you don't have faith, a miracle is not going to give you faith. But if you do have faith, a miracle can confirm it. And, and give it a greater certitude so that you can have a, a fire to your faith, you know, because it's backed up with reasons. It's backed up with things you've seen and heard. Um, and, and that's important that we remember as a, as a Catholic people is the world's not going to just embrace Jesus if we say the right thing or do the right thing, but the world people do ex- accept Jesus one at a time in relationship, if we invite people into that relationship with him. Here's what I don't know is, and I should look this up. Maybe we can find out the answer at some point. Is how long does the church wait to um, dig exhume up the body, body, exhume a body before you know to see if it's incorrupt? Like, like mm-hmm. have they looked at Pope John Paul II? Yes, and said, "Oh, dude, you know, not corrupt, not corrupt." I'm sure. So I'm sure hard. it's on their mind when they dig a saint up. But I mean. I know for sure when they're beatified. Like, how long do they wait? For sure, at beatification, they dig the body up. At beatification? For sure. Maybe before that, if they have reason. I don't know. Okay. But definitely when they're beatified, they dig the body up. So, for example... But that I'm, could be... It could be 100 years before someone's could. beatified. Or three. Or three. But it could be hundreds, yeah. Like uh, Blessed Carlo Acutis, uh, the teenager in, in Italy, mm-hmm. um, who's incorrupt, or at least somewhat, they think. To this point. To this point, and, and again, he's young, like, and he died recently. So there's, 
they're still investigating whether mm-hmm. he's incorrupt. When they dug up his body, it seemed like he was incorrupt. So I don't want to say he is incorrupt because they're investigating it. We talked about that earlier. That's important. Yeah. Science needs to investigate and find That's correct. no way to explain it. But there are parts of his body or, or, or the whole that seems incorrupt. Yeah. Um, like for, for those folks who aren't, you know, from Lafayette, Acadiana, you know, you've talked about on the show, we've talked about it, you've brought it up, is that um, there's a saint here locally that's being investigated. Yeah. I mean, not a saint, a person. Uh, Charlene. of God, yeah. Uh, Charlene Richard. Charlene yeah. Richard. And people have gone to her grave, which from from here is about 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I've had, you know, miracles. They go to pray at her grave, and she was this holy young young girl, you mm-hmm. know, and people have gone to her grave and have reported back miracles and whatever. So what you're telling me is if she goes through this process and gets beatified, they would exhume her body and, and see? Yeah, what they do is in that case— they exhume the body and send it to the Vatican, actually. They ship it. Well, what if it's just nothing? Like, if she decomposes, like, you're not sending anything. Well, they, 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 they want still to make send relics. it to make relics? The Vatican will make the relics, yeah. Um, and so even if it's beatified, not a saint, they Correct. get relics. Correct. Gotcha. Um, now, in her case, talk about sim- simplicity in following the Lord. I mean, it doesn't get more simple. I mean, she died when she was a very young girl, but all of her holiness came in a combination of God's grace and simply reading St. Therese's autobiography, Story of a Soul, mm-hmm. and just deciding, you know what? I could be like this. I want to be like this. You know, I want to love Jesus this much. And so she, her grandmother gave her that book to read. She reads it. Mm. And that was it. And that was the conviction she needed to become a saint, literally, you know, to be on the path to sainthood. Right. Now, of course, the suffering, which was only a week, two weeks long, her leukemia was not a long... Her suffering showed the depth of her faith because she embraced it with faith, but she wouldn't be canonized because of her suffering. She'd be canonized because of her love of Jesus Christ and her witness of a heroically holy life, including the suffering at the end, mm-hmm. including the way she offered it for, for the salvation of souls. But a very simple Cajun girl and a very simple Cajun family who just happened to hear the message of the gospel preached in such a way that I... I should be holy. I should become a saint. And just said yes. She didn't need miracles. She didn't need, you know what I'm saying? Like she didn't need a lot of the fluff and the and the signs that we all seem to need just to, to become a saint. But she did it, you know? Hmm. Little, little girl. It'd be crazy if, you know, from right here in South Louisiana, you know, she gets beatified and they, they dig her up. It's going to be, that'd be huge. Yeah. Oh, a big deal. I mean, people from all over will come, especially because she's young. I mean, if she comes out of the ground and is incorrupt, that's going to be crazy. Game changer. That's going to be intense. You know, we have uh, two that I know of, and maybe there's more in the U.S., incorrupt saints. Um, John St. John Neumann. We say Neumann because we don't want to confuse him with Newman. But he's in Philadelphia. He was a bishop, redemptress. Mm-hmm. Um, he's partially incorrupt, I believe. And then there's... <laughs> like, like his lower half right. <laughs> decomposed, but like... Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then there's uh, the rest of them. I don't know who this is. There's a baby or a child called Holy Innocence in Washington, D.C. And this body, it, it's just a Christian child. Um, but I've seen the body. It's not big. I mean, maybe two or three hmm. years old when they died, uh, but is incorrupt. So they, anyway, that's the two I've seen with my own eyes. Wow. I, there may be more out there in the U.S. Yeah, it's interesting, South Louisiana, how crazy, because we have Blessed Silos 
in New Orleans mm -hmm. that has a shrine, and he he's on the path. Saint had a lot of miracles reported in his intercession, and you can actually go to the church and they have a beautiful shrine and church. Yep. Um, for him. Okay, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Paying too much for healthcare and supporting services you don't believe in? Our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare, has prices that are 60% less than the nation's average cost of healthcare. Join the nation's leading healthcare sharing ministry built by people of faith for people of faith, saving money through ethical and affordable healthcare. Call now to see how much you can save at 844-387-8533. That's Solidarity HealthShare, 844-387-8533. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for being a part of the show. Paul George, Deacon Adam Conk in studio talking all things all the time. We just talk. We do just talk. You know, I've, I've been through eight live births in my life, mm -hmm. but none of them were at a rock concert. No. Not even close. But I did almost give birth in the line at CeCe's Coffee. Um, you personally? Well, not almost helped my wife give birth in, in so a line. So she, she started going into labor while you were waiting for coffee? Well. She needed her caffeine, dude. It was the uh, seventh baby, which yeah. things could happen quick. Yeah. And it started early in the morning, and she needed a coffee. So good on the way, I said, for her. I said, uh, hey, do you want to get coffee, or do you want to just keep going? So she thought for a second. She said, let's keep going. And when we got to the hospital, about 10 minutes later, the baby was born. Just like that. And if she would have said, yes, let's get some coffee, we would have been stuck in that line. <laughs> and, I mean, you know when how, we got to the hospital, no, that baby was no, ready to come out. Here's the thing. Like, you know how bad she wanted coffee? She's like, I'm having this baby so I can get my coffee. That's what she, that's <laughs> that's what she wanted. You can't drink coffee till after the delivery. Yeah. Right. So she's like, I really want that coffee. So let's just get this done and I'll have my coffee. I thank God often for that decision she made. Because she thought for a second, <laughs> she's she, let's just keep going. Yeah, she's a smart lady. I mean, we got there. She was ready to push. Yeah, she's <sighs> smart. She's, she is a smart lady. Yeah. You married way up. Way up. Out kicked your coverage. Totally. Hands down. <laughs> All right. How about a six-pack of questions? Question. Question number one. So uh, we started kind of talking about the lady who had birth at, that we just mentioned, mm -hmm. had birth at the Metallica concert. Yeah. My question for you is, have you been to a – you don't seem like a guy who likes concerts too much. I'm going out on a limb there. Like yeah. you're not like dying to go to concerts. No, it's a good limb. Do you have one – like what's your best concert memory, a concert you actually went to and enjoyed? <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I kind of I grew up in small town country, you know. So shocker, like my first concert was a country music concert um, that I went to with my dad. So, um, like, if I were to go to a concert, it'd be I would enjoy like an acoustic set mm -hmm. type, you know, more laid back, not super loud, you know, type. Nothing you know. you'd give birth at. Nothing you would give birth at. Yeah. Yeah, but I know it's, it's, that's a shocker to you, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't seem like a concert goer. No. That's no, cool. crowds. The two things that I don't like. Loud music and crowds. <laughs> loud music and <laughs> loud noises and crowds, you know? Well, you spent a lot of time in both, right? Like speaking at all these conferences and things like that. Yeah. 
But you, that's why you went up on stage. You're like, I just can't stand being the, in this crowd. The stage is the best place for the introvert <laughs> because it's just like, man, I'm up here by myself, and it feels really good. That's funny. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind you know visiting with people in a crowd. I don't mind that. But like loud, super loud noise, a concert like that, that, that to me is like, man, anxiety on a stick. Mm. Anxiety on a stick. Question number two. So you mentioned uh, going on this fishing retreat time with, with these couple of priests. Um, I want to ask you about the need for priests to have moments like that. It seems like a hard thing. You work, you've worked with a lot of priests. You've, um, you know what their life is like. It just seems like their life is so busy, so chaotic. But yet, some priests are really good about finding time for stuff like that. Um, why is that important for priests to do and remember? Yeah, I think I think just like all of us, like we need a day off, we need time away, we need to rest, we need a leisure, we need to recreate, you know, and that's healthy and good. A lot of times when we're at our worst in life, it's because we're overworking, we're not resting, we're not Sabbathing. And you think about our priests the same way, and you know, a lot of times they're like, well, they don't have a family, don't have that. but those guys are you know, up all night, sometimes at hospitals and, you know, doing things and working Sundays for masses. And, you know, a lot of them are getting better at taking their day off, but there is something about just saying, Hey, let's go away and just recreate and, and not have to think or do anything. So if you're a priest out there, you want to get away, just call me. I'll, I'll make it happen for you. Nice. Hey, that's a pretty good offer actually. Yeah. Wow. All right. Question number three. So we talked about you know, the potential of Roe v. Wade being overturned and how so, for so many years a lot of people have been working so hard to support mom and baby um, in crisis pregnancy. Tell me about the kind of like an outstanding pro-life warrior that you've met. You've done a lot of ministry all over the place and met a lot of really cool people. And some of these people have such amazing stories of the ministry they got into, the lives they're saving, the work they're doing. Tell me about, you know, just a solid pro-life warrior that you know is going to be rejoicing on on the day this law is overturned there's a ton i mean there and there have been a ton of people who have just been praying interceding every day you know like those people are heroic in the fact that they've just committed their lives to like praying for the unborn praying for you know life and and faith and and whatnot there's a there's a ministry in texas it's college station called sidewalk advocates beautiful ministry that just every day like visit and sit with moms who are struggling with their decision they're they don't judge they don't condemn they just love and they're making huge progress but there there are ministries like that in you know every town almost and city you know and, and they're just doing beautiful work and they're not trying to be famous they're just trying to do god's work mm -hmm. awesome yeah there's so many of them I mean, it's an army of people that for the past 50 years is it 50? 1973 to almost? Mm -hmm. Almost. Not quite 50. That's awesome. We'll overturn it before 50 years. Um, all right, question number four. We talked about uh, incorruptible saints and how strange that is. Um, tell me about um, your experience seeing strange, miraculous things. Have you ever, like, what's the mo strangest thing? Have you seen an incorruptible, incorruptible saint? Have you seen a miracle happen in front of your eyes? Like, what's the weirdest thing your eyes have seen? Yeah, I think when I, you know, did, a, like, a, a tour through, you know, Italy and Rome and did all the churches, that was the first thing I was sort of shocked by. I was like, there is a freaking body right there. <laughs> like... You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. right there, like, in the glass case. And I just kind of, like was just overwhelmed and you know it's just like man 
that's what miracles do. They point to God, you know, and, and so you're just kind of like, you, you're kind of lifted into the realm of the miraculous when you experience like that. I, I, I've seen uh, like a couple of cool experiences of, of healing, like physical healing from people, uh, through prayer, um, that have been, wow. Like you're like, Whoa, that's, that's crazy. I've, I've been a bystander and an exorcism just, you know, sort of happened to be there long story. Like I've seen things that you're just like, you know, when you like see something, you can't unsee it, mm -hmm. you know, that could be good or bad. Right. Mm -hmm. But in the faith, like there's things you see, you're like, man, I can't unsee that. That was pretty crazy and awesome. Yeah. Great. All right. Question number five. We talked about um, a relationship with Jesus and how important that is and foundational that is and uh, the role that miracles play to just confirm that relationship. Um, and you shared a cool story about this RCIA candidate who's going fishing with these priests, didn't know they were priests, and then just a normal conversation led that person to a deeper relationship with Jesus. And you talked about your own kids who have a relationship with Jesus and how that happened. And for you, you said this phrase... We just try to be normal. My question is, why is it important for relationships, especially with Jesus, to be normal? You know, like, it, it seems like that's important. That yeah, yeah. And, and look, not to confuse this, like, Jesus was, he separated himself in a sense by how holy he was. Like, he, he didn't conform to the world. So, mm. so don't get me wrong there. Like, but he did sit down and have dinner and he did sit and laugh and like enter into life. Like he, he, he wasn't like, you know what I'm going to be? I'm going to be the awkward person at everything. Mm -hmm. You know, like he, he just moved in with people and you know, the scripture said he stayed the night. Like he, like he was able to like integrate into people's lives and move them forward by his own life. Right. Like pointing towards something greater and so he didn't conform to the world and neither as parents or as people or as disciples should we conform to the world or like, you know, just like look the other way at like injustices or sin, right? It's like, so we're pointing people as, as we're discipling and our family to something greater, but at the same time, we're not like separating ourselves from people. We're not causing this distance and this chasm between me and my kids and other people say, I got it better. I'm doing it better. You don't do it my way. It's the highway. And like, we, we've got to like, be able to like live life together and move forward uh, together at the same time, you know, pointing to something that that's greater and bigger than us, which is a relationship with Jesus, Jesus himself. Right. Yeah. I like that. Question number six is kind of a follow up, but let's say we realize that maybe we're not the best at that. Like maybe, because you were talking earlier about sometimes we push our kids too hard or we push, you know, people too hard or we make things more difficult than it needs to be, uh, especially with the faith. How would you suggest we go about kind of taking a breath and um, I don't want to say normalizing our life or normalizing our relationship with our kids or our family, but just how do, how do we become less, um, less pressure? I guess, on our faith, less pressure on everything to make it so spiritual all the time, so Catholic all the time. How do we embrace the normal? How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, I think, who are we to be God? Like, to think that we have to be perfect or have it all together. Like, I, I constantly try to remind myself is that the pressure should be on God. The, the pressure of my life 
and the responsibilities that I have as a father and a husband and a you know person, a Christian, that that pressure is on Jesus. Like he took he took on the cross, you know, like and and he he has the shoulders of God. Like I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, like God's grace is far greater than me. Like so the the I, I got to enter into life with him and, and he carries the load and, and I just, I cling to him that like hands down. And in the moment that I think I'm self-sufficient and I can do it on my own, well, that's when I totally fall on my face and I don't, I, f- I sin, you know, pride, mm-hmm. lack of humility, all those things. I love what you said. I'm going to have to pray with that a lot. The pressure should be on God. It's got to be. Yeah. So like if I, so what you're saying is if I, if I start to feel that pressure, I should evaluate, like, am I putting that where it belongs, right? Yeah. Am I carrying it or is God carrying it? Oh, if, man. If Pre- I'm carrying preach it. Preach it. <laughs> if I'm carrying it, then I, I'm being God. Yeah. Okay. I'm saying he's not good or big enough. Well, you punch me in the gut there, Paul. Carry my load. Yeah. And look, I got some stuff he's got to carry. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> he's got big shoulders. He's You're got right. big shoulders. I like that. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Was that the last question? Yeah, it was. That was six. That was six. That was a good note. Put it on God. He's got He's got God's shoulders, bro. God's shoulders. That's yeah. your next book, God's shoulders. God's shoulders. Yeah, I'm all into the saints, man. I finished this book with the saints, and it's I'm excited about it. So Can't like, wait to read it. You got to, yeah, buckle me in, because I'm taking off. That's awesome. I don't yeah. want to buckle you in. No, no. I mean. Take off, man. Yeah. I want to watch you fly. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I want to attach a little string. I'll hold on, and you can take me with you. I don't know where this is going, but <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> better buckle up all right so i'll buckle up you keep flying yeah that's a deal no no come with me all right i'll be on this is our thing (laughs) that's right i'm not leaving my (laughs) next goal is to get you to write a book (laughs) oh boy yeah all right so anyway thanks everyone for listening in uh feel free to share the podcast on spotify google play itunes and thanks to everyone in acadiana klft for being a part of the show and we'll be back next week